0: hi everyone welcome to episode 39 of an inside view podcast with on the ball team building if this is your first time listening to an inside view podcast we really appreciate it if you go back to episode 1 have a listen please do rate review tell your friends family whoever may know about the podcast we'd really appreciate it a uh, big shout out to our sponsors gog sports who are a teamware supplier up there in mayo so if you are uh, in charge of a club, or if you have a uh, business and want to, you know, kid out your employees, be sure to get in contact with the guys up there in Mayo. They'd be more than happy to assist you in any way possible. And also, a big shout out to Vintry Harbor Asset Management Company, who are an asset management company based in Connecticut in the United States of America. We are extremely grateful and appreciate their support to date. And if you're wondering what to do with some excess money, be sure to get in contact with Andrew Shea, who is the CEO, the, the founder and uh, um, CEO and founder of Fintry Harvest Management. And he'll be more than happy to assist you in any way possible. Um, feel free to get in contact with myself either on any of our social media platforms there, and I'd be more than happy to, to do an, an introduction. Um. He's excellent at what he does and um he might be able to, you know, get a good return on your money rather than having it sitting in in a bank account. It's now time to bring on this week's guest and I'm delighted to be joined by SPG Island fighter, Will Fleury. The Tipperary native transition from full-time quantity of air to professional mixed martial artist is quite a unique and interesting one. The Care native is now with Bellator, one of the largest promotions worldwide. Fleury, a former rugby player, always had a fascination with contact sport and loves that feeling of embracing a challenge. He has been through a huge amount in his career to date from a broken foot, multiple fo- fights falling through, and an unfair exit from his show in South Africa. There's no doubt we have a huge amount to cover. So I'm really looking forward to bring him on. Hi Will, welcome to the Inside View Podcast. How has the last couple of months been for you? Um I know we kind of spoke about it about it there off air, but uh I suppose, you know, since the the COVID nineteen pandemic really took a hold.
1: Yeah, well like this last year has been a bit crazy in comparison to any other year trending away. But like all in all, I feel pretty grateful for the fact that I can still train a little bit and that I can do bits and pieces, and that we are considered elite athletes. Like um, you know, during the first lockdown, there was very little happening. Uh, it was just you know, I bought an assault bike and I got some weights off a friend of mine, so I have a barbell that I was taking out into the yard. And I'm lucky now; we're living like I'm not living with anybody else except my girlfriend at the moment, so it's easy enough to kind of separate. Um, and shut down from the rest of society if you get me so just the weather was gorgeous as well so i was doing a little bit in the barbell and then coming in and using the aerodyne, and i was going running a lot more and stuff like that so i felt like well look this is a nice break from contact and a nice break from beating the crap out of your body every day you know you're you're never really getting slammed or picked up and thrown onto the ground it was nice to let the body heal a little bit um but then as it drew on and there was no prospect of fights, it started to get a little bit frustrating, all right, because you kind of lack purpose at that stage and you need that to kind of stay going. And even mentally, you just fucking, you need that purpose. Like, uh, so I managed to get a fight in June. I took on a light heavyweight. Like I went up a weight class when I'd actually ended up losing a good bit of weight over the lockdown just because I've been running a lot more. Uh, so that was probably a little bit silly uh, <laughs> going up that high. So I took on a light heavyweight guy um over in Germany and uh I lost that by second round submission. Guy was very like in fairness to him, like very well conditioned, but also like technically quite a good fighter. Uh quite surprised at how well he did in that uh I thought I'd smash him to be honest for sure. Um and then shortly after that things got back going again and the gyms reopened and it was great we could go in and train again um and do proper MMA style training. Uh so then it was just preparing for the fight in September. So the fight in September happened, like you know, did that whole camp. It was pretty much normal. COVID wasn't a massive factor in training at that stage. And um then shortly after that, like got through that fight, won the fight, it was great, and really fucking happy with how everything went. And shortly after all that, then everything kind of shut back down again. Um <laughs> So, and that shutdown has been slightly more frustrating because now there's very little prospect for anything else. Like we all assumed, oh, we fought September, you know, hopefully get one before the end of the year, maybe one early next year. It's already early next year now, and there's no real prospect of a fight coming up. So it's, we're in a little bit of a lull and it looks like it might take a little while to come out of this as well. But all in all, man, I'm fucking extremely grateful. And I
0: appreciate that a lot of people are in a much worse situation than I am definitely i suppose gratitude is, is is and you know putting things in perspective is very important nowadays because you know i suppose it's, it's easy to be to be pessimistic and it's it's important to not you know to look at what we have you know i think it a, does a
1: lot like you know i know there's this whole thing of like oh, i'll give gratitude every day and but fuck me you feel a lot better when you do and like you enjoy your life a lot more and I don't know why the fuck we here at the end of the day. Like, if you're going to live a great life and be frustrated, what the fuck's the point? So I think it is important to find those little things that you do appreciate and go, shit, this is great, actually. And it makes everything feel better. You go, fuck, yeah, I'm living a great life, you know? So thankfully, like, I'd like to think I've always been fairly positive and always been, you know, tried to see the brighter side of things. But, like, eventually when you keep instilling that stuff in your brain, you kind of just get naturally better. at it. And obviously there's shit things in life that you have to acknowledge. And it's not like you can ignore the shit parts, but it's like, okay, this shit thing is happening, but I can still like, appreciate the fact that I have this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And that's in the corner and that's part of my life. And a lot of people don't fucking have that situation. And like, once you ingrain that into your mindset, that's huge. Like, things seem easier to get through. Everything seems easier to get through. And no matter who the fuck you are, there's something you can build on in that like everybody has an advantage in their life and it's about focusing on your advantages and going fuck yeah i have this and this and also being fucking real with yourself about what you don't have and then going okay but i can't change that because you have an empowered mentality because you see the advantages you do have
0: true yeah it's definitely it's it's uh, just add on to that as well i suppose it's, it's about like you know identifying you know what you're not good at and just sometimes even accepting that and being grateful for what you do have like you said like yeah accepting it but
1: like what what can you do about that because mm-hmm. the end of the day like especially okay fighting i love because it's an easy one to fucking change you know what i mean if you don't have like fucking if you're not earning a lot of money that'll take a while to get around you have to convince other people to change that shit you know there's a big process there say i'm like oh this guy's amazing that fucking leg kicks and like okay what are we gonna do to stop that i'm gonna have to get better at checking kicks i'm gonna have to get better at my reaction speed my rep okay let's drill that let's fucking work on that and it's so like it's just there it's in front of you and it's like you either want to be empowered by this and do the work or you don't and you want to accept the fact that you're shit at it and like i'm a little bit of a nazi in that sense where i'm fucking like militant about the fact that it's like nope if you want to just be shit at something that's your fucking problem like there's nothing in this game you can't change or well there's very very few things in this game you can't change but like if you perceive yourself to have a disadvantage somewhere it's only sorting out what that fucking, what that thing you need to work is to create it into something or like, or to improve the skill set to a point where it's not a disadvantage and it's something you're in control. Like it's something you can deal with and then it could be eventually something that you can
0: capitalize on. Like Do you, 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 you're talking in the context of uh, mixed martial arts or, or in life in general, probably both.
1: Both, you know, both <laughs> like because it's pretty fucking similar. You know what I mean? Anything you shit at, if you work on it, you'll be better at it. Yeah, definitely. It work into it, like, and it's breaking down what you need to get better at. But if you can see the fact that you can get better at it and you go, well, actually, I know I can improve at that, then it's only a matter of time. It's time and effort. Like, if you want to put the effort in, go do it. But if you don't, right, don't fucking bitch and moan about the fact that you shit at it. Because all that means is you're not putting in the work to be good at it. Like,
0: True, yeah, it's quite keep complaining. It seems it seems to be easier for a lot of people to just keep complaining about it. Um, yeah, like I think we
1: were too accept like, uh, not to be fucking, but I do think we're too accepting of that mentality of like, ah, I'm just, I'm not good at that. Mm-hmm. And you accept like that's permanent, that's a fucking thing. Oh, sure, he's shit at that or I'm shit at this. It's like, well, you choose to be. And if you don't want to be, you don't have to be.
0: You know, yeah, no, so it's definitely. always a
1: fucking choice like, you know, and you can go, ah oh, well, he's more powerful than I am, and he's stronger than I am. And all right, but like you can work on that. Your body will change, you know, or like, oh, I'm not good at friend, like, you know, he can speak every fucking language, I can't speak, or you know, this lad's got amazing communication skills. But fucking work on it like you know <laughs> yeah. like if you fucking consciously put your effort into that for a little while it's gonna get better isn't it like
0: definitely 100 percent. I, I totally agree with that and I, a big thing i'd I be you know adamant about too is your i suppose your circle of friends as well like you know if you have a bad circles it could bring you down very quickly Yeah,
1: because people's mindsets do become kind of ingrained in your own mentality you know so if you're around people who are constantly going oh sure isn't it terrible and isn't this terrible and it's that fucking disempowered mentality of like I'm just going to moan about that when it's a problem. It's like, well, you're never going to see any solution from moaning and anything. It doesn't, like, it just makes you frustrated and, like, it takes away any fucking impact on it you can have. Whereas if you're going to go, well, that's shite, but look, we can do this. Or, like, you know, and I suppose that is one thing, like, the COVID situation is a bit, like, fuck, what can you do? Like, you do just have to kind of accept it. But then there's loads you can do. Like, you know, at the end of the day, nobody can take away what you can learn you know, Mm -hmm. like, you always have fucking access to the internet, you have whatever the fuck you want there, there's so many resources to go and fucking look shit up on, and, you know, ah, look, I'm probably in a more privileged position than a lot of people in the fact that, like, I'm here in a gaff with broadband, and my fucking, you know, nobody's really distracting me, I don't have kids running around the place, but, like, I I do fucking get a little bit, like, ah, people need to moan less, like, 100 yeah, A lot of good definitely. shit going on. We live, like, if you look back throughout the fucking entirety of history, we lead much, much more privileged lives and much fucking easier lives than most people who've ever existed. Like,
0: geez, definitely yeah. 100%, 100%. Um, I just, I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll go back, you know, into your, uh, into your career now. And one thing, just before we we get you go into your career, do you find it hard taking that fight during the year? with lack of, um, you know, grappling and things, you know, I suppose you didn't have much contact on the ground with other people. Did you find that difficult in going into the cage?
1: Um, I'd done, I think it was three sessions where I had grappled coming up to that fight. Now, one was just like very light, trained away with a guy who I'd be a little bit bigger than, and then two proper, like, kind of semi-sparring-based sessions, but with guys who don't do full MMA, guys who are good grapplers, but not. Proper MMA fighters, um, and I was a little bit like, "Ah, this this definitely is an ideal preparation." But I've been doing so much kind of strength and conditioning work and that sort of thing that I felt like I was in very good shape anyway. And I was like, "Well, you've been doing this for ten years. You're not. I haven't forgotten how to fight." And that, like, that did prove to be true. I'd like, you know, I knew how to fuck fight, but it's the sharpness and it's the reaction speed and it's, like. The first round that I it was mostly grappling. There was a little bit of striking, but it was mostly like clinch work, grappling, a couple of knees and elbows and that sort of thing. Um, and I felt good during all of that. But what I was surprised by was when we started to strike in the second round and like, I was maintaining a little bit more distance, I just my reactions weren't good, you know, because I hadn't been like, it was four months, five months since I'd really, well, maybe not that long, June, March yeah three nearly four months since i'd like proper sparring at all so ah it's not an excuse like i should have fucking been prepared better but yeah um there probably wasn't like a lack of sharpness but i didn't know that until i got into the fight i wouldn't go into a fight thinking oh, i'm gonna get my ass fucked like and you just wouldn't fucking do it like
0: uh, i know what you mean i know what you mean just uh, something i found very interesting when i was uh you know, looking into looking into your career and looking into you know your background and things is um you're a qualified quantity surveyor and you're a professional MMA fighter now. How did that happen?
1: Um, I got a job like so. I went to New York in 2010, and uh, I ended up kind of getting a job under a fella, um, and then he pretty much told me, "Look, if you get a degree as a surveyor." come over here work yeah, and he offered me a wage and it was good wage so I was like right brilliant um, in the meantime I'd broken my foot playing rugby in New York and uh, when I went back over they told me the first thing I could do was boxing footwork to rehab the foot or that the best thing I could do was boxing rehab so I went in did a bit of boxing loved the boxing kind of i would always played rugby before that and that had kind of been my sport and uh, once I got into the boxing a little bit there was a cage in the gym and a guy they got an american coach over justin robbins was his name it was the emma clinic in concord that i was training. In. and once justin came over we were doing a little bit of wrestling as well and then i'd seen like i'd watched um you know ufc on bravo back in the day this is like 2004 2005 like um and i'd always been like fuck that'd be some buzz to do like and then it sort of became, like, out of nowhere, that became real. Like, I'd never really dreamed of being an MMA fighter or anything like that, but I was pretty good when I started doing it. Like, you know, I was a bit more athletic than a lot of lads who I was training with. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with the fact that it was like you could see yourself getting better every week. And you knew that, like, you keep putting effort in, you'll keep getting better. And that's a continue. Like, you know, that doesn't stop, you know? So I got really into it then quite quickly, and I was hooked and then uh yeah like fucking just like training cork for like four or five years nearly and then I ended up I went back to New York the following summer and I trained a little bit over there but not as intensely like when cork I was a student so I was training twice a day and you know I was in the gym more than I was in college like um and we had a good team down there as well we had a couple of really good athletes and then we got jake hecht over who was coaching or uh who would like he came over to coach us but he was fighting in the ufc after a couple of months like he came to ireland first and then he got a couple of fights over in america he went back he fought those came back he was coaching us and then he got signed to the ufc and um, so he did his camps with us so we were kind of like and like it was myself and kieran daly down in cork and we'd be sparring him and he'd be preparing for ufc fight and we were like we're only doing this like two three years and we we're already giving him a good goal like so it did feel like, fuck, it's not too far away. So it was that like, the, you know, the goal was always like attainable in my eyes. Anyway, it was always like, this isn't a million miles away. And at that stage, like Connor hadn't been signed to the UFC or, you know, like it shouldn't have seemed real to us, but it did. We did fucking believe we did kind of see like, oh, you can do that. Like, you know, we can definitely fucking do this. Make run UFC, like, and, you know, be high level fighters, like um so that was cool like it was cool experience all that and then i qualified eventually so jake ended up losing two fights and he left the gym and then the gym changed hands a few times so there was kind of a lull for a little while um but i was trying away the whole time i had a bad knee injury in that period as well um and then i went over to london and i started working as a surveyor because i couldn't get a visa in the end to go over to america um And then while I was over in London, I was training at London Shoot Fighters. And that was really, really good training. Like, fucking loved it out there. And it was kind of like, okay, these lads are proper, proper professionals. Like, so the standard, even like the standard in comparison to Cork, which was good. Like, we were good athletes and we were training our balls off. But, like, they just had that little bit more knowledge. They just had that little bit more, like, fight IQ, if you get me. Like, they knew what they were doing. Because they've been doing it for twenty five, thirty years. That day, like those guys were there before MMA was even a thing. Like, um, and they'd learned the tricks of the trade. Like, and you could feel it in the place. And even like you'd be sparring guys, and you'd be like, "Fuck, this guy's incredible!" Like, um, so that was a real eye opener. And then I was there for nearly a year, but I just I didn't really love London to be honest at all. Like, I just as a city, it never fucking. I never took to it like and you know (laughs) I don't think it ever really took to me either so Um, in the end I like I knew Sean Tobin quite well who was running Trials MMA which was what the MMA clinic kind of eventually became Um, so it was him and Kieran O'Brien Sr and Kieran O'Brien Jr were running the place and then I ended up going back to Trials in Cork and I trained there for about nine months after I came back from England and at that stage I'd like Quit the job as a surveyor, had a little bit of savings. Um, and I was pretty much like, right, I'm gonna make a run as a pro fighter. Now, if I was young, like if I was looking at a young lad in that position now, I'd be like, keep a fucking job, keep something, keep an income coming in, because you're not gonna make any money as a low-level pro, like. <laughs> um, but I managed to get by anyway. Now well, there was some fucking rough year, like, so that was 2015, uh, 20 like I didn't get a pro fight until April 2016. And then I was joined up with SPG the month after, like late April 2016. Then I was up in SPG. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it was like easier to get by basically. But like for the first little bit of that pro career, oh, you need money coming in if you're going to stay there. Like there's going to be very little money for a long time. You know? <laughs> um, so it's got to be like, there has to be some sort of an income and you have to have a lot of passion because, like, I don't know if I could do it again. Like, I don't know if, like, me now would do that, Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, But me then was fucking super driven to do that, like. um, So, yeah, then ended up in SPG and I've been there for the last 35 years now. And why did you
0: decide to go to the SPG?
1: Just, it was, like, to be honest, it was fairly obviously always the biggest fight team in ireland and like had the biggest fighters if you get me um but like i've lived in cork and i loved cork city like i thought cork was class as a place just people are cool the vibe down there is very cool. um but it was like look if you're going to take your career seriously this is obviously the place to go uh there was like there was a few lads who I would have known. I fought a few SPG guys while I was training in Cork and while I was over in London. Uh, I fought Shane Kirkwood first and then Ben Forsyth. Um, and, like, having gotten to know them after I fought, like, especially Ben, I got to know Ben really well after we fought. And I would kind of chat away with him a bit. And then he was, like, he was pretty much like, why wouldn't you come up? And I was like, yeah, he's dead right. Why wouldn't I, like? <laughs> um, so, and then during when I fought John Redmond as well, um John like because there there'd always kind of been a bit of a thing between court gyms and Dublin gyms um but John like it was never something that I really ever got invested in but after my fight with John Redmond John Cavanaugh came over to me and was like beautiful fight well done and I was just like fair fuck like I didn't think he'd come over and even be chatting to me like um so I was pretty like oh he's obviously a pretty open-minded guy and, like, I'd seen, you know, interviews with him and stuff, but you never know. And, like, then, in person, he was like, oh, fuck, this guy he actually is bang on. Um, so that made me a lot more open to the idea of coming up as well. And then, sure, within, I think it was, like, three weeks after that, I was up there, you know, and I was trained away there. And that, like, that's one thing that's kind of always stayed with me is, like, how open-minded the atmosphere is up there and how kind of genuinely non, like, nobody gives a fuck. Basically, it's like, well, you can use any technique that's going to work. You can use, like, it's very, like, philosophical, the approach, you know, but, like, in a good way, not an artsy-fartsy bullshit kind of way, in a way that's like, well, if you can prove this and it can work, go for it. And that, like, that has to be the attitude of MMA in a way, but I think, like, there it's real. It's very, like, you know, nobody's going to interrupt you. Nobody's going to stop you from doing what you're doing as long as it's going to work for you, like.
0: I was, I was saying to their there off air, I, I went to the SPG for a while. Look, I, I was absolutely crap. But it's just the whole experience was amazing. Though, and that just and what you said there, um, a few things I was really taken back by was the respect and, you know, the whole culture inside. there. didn't matter who you are, where you're from, everyone's welcome.
1: Yeah, well, I think, like, to be honest, you'd be surprised, like, I would say that should be, well, hopefully I haven't been in every gym, but like most of the gyms I've ever trained in, that is the case. Like as long as you're willing to come in and work and fucking, you know, be respectful towards other people, you're not going to have any issues. Like there's not like, you know, I think it's, it's easy to kind of see it as like a macho kind of thing, but it's really not because like you be the machoest guy in the world. And if you don't know your shit, you're going to come in and get your ass absolutely whooped. And if you don't deal with that, well, you're not really going to be welcome back. So like if, and even I was always like, why is everybody so nice here? when I started training MMA, but it's like, you have to be nice if you want to learn anything. Because the guy who's better than you, who's whooping your ass, you know, he learned through, like, somebody showing him this thing. And he had to be okay with that guy, for that guy to show him that. So you had to be willing to learn it to get it. And that guy's just whooped your ass. So, like, as long as you're some way, like, enthusiastic about the fact that he's the one who's, like, showing you this thing, you know, he's going to give you the knowledge eventually as well. So you kind of have to be pretty sound to get technique out of people if you know what I mean you can't be an asshole and expect people to want to teach you like
0: you yeah know, th- so. that's actually really really very good point and that's a good way of putting it because I suppose you know not disrespecting any any sport but you know I came from GA background and you know you all said the mentality of you know I suppose some, although it's a team sport back then it was probably everyone looking out for himself and you know trying to be the main person on the team and even one thing that always you know is the forefront of my mind when I think of SPGs when I, I remember being in there and you know after sessions everyone shakes hands you know everyone t- pats each other on the back like you wouldn't see that in a gaelic football pitch like you know like, stuff like that maybe nowadays you would but before you wouldn't
1: um, yeah and even like I came from a rugby background and it's considered a fairly respectful sport or whatever but I feel a lot more like you know I suppose, unity with people who I train with. And this is an individual sport. It's not even a team sport. But, like, the guys who I train with on a regular basis, it's like, I fucking know that guy well. I have a lot of respect for that, dude. 99.9% of the time, it's, like, all good vibes. Like, so, it is funny that there becomes, like, it becomes a very, like, reciprocal relationship. Because, like, if somebody catches you with something, like, you know, you're doing fucking... A little like a round or whatever, and you slip like somebody fucking manages to get you into a position, and they they catch you with a choke you've never seen before or whatever. You want to learn that. You want to know what it was. So like it's more a process of figuring it out. And like if that guy shows you that thing, you're kind of indebted to him. And then if you're the guy who's catching the dude and be like, you know, you have set up a transition into an arm bar or like you know a little like, oh well, if I push this knee that way, he's gonna have to react by base on that side, and now I'm gonna be able to catch that arm. And now I'm going to be able to do this. It's like a little sequence you figured out, but he does, like he's interested to know it. So you're preparing each other for the any potential fight, and it's like right. Well, without him, I wouldn't be aware of this. So I'm grateful for this guy for showing me that. And like I'm sure the shit that I'm doing on them that they haven't seen before, they're grateful for me, you know. And as long as like you're dealing with people who are bringing in new things, and that's one great thing about SVG as well that I have to like it's kind of like a hub because like you have guys coming from all over in there and like, there's new technique coming in every day and you kind of have to like, even some guys who you'd be like, ah, well their game is a little bit more basic, but they might do a little something just that kind of like, whoa, it throws you. Cause you're like, well, I know how to deal with this, 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 and this. And sure. I've seen this a thousand times, but like, then it's like, oh, well he's changed it up. He's putting his head here instead of there. And now it becomes a totally different thing. And you're like, fuck, you know, So, like, and like it's different guys bring in things like that because once you've seen, you know, a couple of hundred Irish guys, they're generally speaking, everybody knows roughly the same shit. Like, now you might get guys who are better at certain things and guys who are more flexible and they can do different things. But, like, all in all, it's fairly similar. And then you get a guy who will come in like some Moldovan fella who, like, fucking has a completely different wrestling style and, like, you know, grabs your arm and goes under you and, like, does crazy shit. You're like, right now i have to learn how to deal with this and it's exciting and it's interesting and it is like it's like a fucking puzzle a lot of the time because you have to go home and think about it then and that's what i enjoy most is like it's not over when it's over if it's just training it's like well i may as well fucking run my treadmill for an hour like but it's training and then you have to go and fucking figure out what happened like
0: yeah. would you Would like would it keep you up some nights buzzing just thinking about figuring out how to yeah. No, like,
1: like, I'm really grateful. Like, or you know, I'm happy that that is the case still, because like, it would be easy, like there would be times where I was like, oh, maybe you're losing the passion for this thing a little bit. But like definitely the last year and a half I've been very like anytime I get a good grappling match with somebody who like you know is a high level fighter who or I'm seeing new things I'm, I've been exposed to like good technique. Like even earlier today, like you know, I was rolling with some high level guys. And there's a lot of shit now, like I've written down, but like, I still kind of have to fucking play it out, figure it out, like, you know, and even there was a couple of things I did that worked really well, but I nearly have to figure out why they worked so well, if you know what I mean? (laughs) like, like, and it does like, you'd be lying in bed kind of being like, well, if I did that in that situation, how well would that work? You know, and then you'll try it. It's funny what, what your brain focuses on happens in reality then. So like, you'll see the thing you were thinking about a lot the night before you'll do it the next day. And then if you're doing that, like if it becomes like fucking one, that worked really well. Then there's like a positive chemistry in your brain about that thing. Mm -hmm. So it becomes like a repetition buzz. You're looking for that every time now. And then it becomes like a little bit of like a habit. And then once you've done it enough times, it's a technique in your arsenal. And it's like, wow, I have that weapon now that I didn't have like a month ago or two months ago. And, you know, then you have another string to your bow and you have a whole new attacking game from a certain position so there's, like, yeah, it's, it's fucking, it's a great sport that way, like.
0: Would you, like, in those situations, would you journal it or, or how would you? Yeah, so I
1: take, like, after training, now, not every day, like, I used to be great like this, but I wouldn't be as good anymore, but on interesting days, like, this morning, I would take down notes on pretty much, like, what positions that I was mentally kind of, whoa, what happened there, like. And then I have to go and figure them out. Like, and then sometimes, like, see, a lot of the time you do a little bit of technique before, like, or, you know, you do quite a bit of technique and then you'd roll. So today there's a lot of technique anyway, but I try and record the technique because uh, I used to write notes, but it's very hard to verbalize some of the stuff. Like, so, like, you know, now I just, like, I'll record the technique. So I'll just have my phone out and I'll, like, have a recording of the guy showing the thing. um, And then with the actual rolling which is kind of like where you're applying it in reality i'll just take down notes on what happened afterwards and i'll come home and i'll have a look at the notes and i'll be like okay and then you'll kind of remember slightly as well but it's just good to like write it down to be like oh yeah it was that and that you know and it was like elbow got pinned here and he got a grip here and then you'll be like yeah okay but then where like so you'll be like all right then i move my hip over that and you go, away, but fuck it. What if I'd like been able to pull my knee up into my chest? Would that have given me the space to push the guy away? So there's that side of it. And it's like that side of it kind of can keep you mentally taken over for a while. like.
0: <laughs> and how do you, how do you stay flexible? You know, keep your muscles and, and bones flexible.
1: Stretch, basically. Um, I try and do like, like I'd, I'd love to get into Pilates. Um, I've been looking at, like I did a lot of yoga um when i first got into mma uh, because i wasn't flexible at all and it was an issue you do need to be able to move well like um so for the first year and a half i was in mma i was fucking big stiff rugby player and now you're powerful and like explosiveness does help you but not being able to move in certain like you know i couldn't fucking put my arm up on my head properly and i couldn't touch my toes properly or there's a lot of movements i couldn't fully do um so tons of yoga did about three years of like doing yoga four or five times a week i uh, wouldn't do anywhere near that much anymore uh but that was cool as well like that kind of gave me, like it definitely chilled me out a bit like you know especially i was only i was 21 when i got into the sport so i was like 22 23 then doing all that and uh yeah fucking shortly after like i got big into the yoga. I definitely got better at, like, controlling breathing during rounds, you know, doing that sort of thing. Um, and I just found the yoga made me, like, a little bit happier as well.
0: Probably for, like, nice relaxing things after. And just, I suppose, on, on that point, would you be being into your breathing techniques and all that, you know, if you know leading up to fights and things?
1: Yeah, so, like, I did, like, I've fucking studied Wim Hof um a little bit like and I listened to that first podcast did with Joe Rogan years ago and I got big into ice baths and breathing from all that um now I got really big into it for a while where I was doing like ice baths nearly every week and like you know I'd be going out swimming in the sea a lot and I still do swim and see a good bit and I actually did an ice bath today for the first time in a good while but like I would do less of the Wim Hof style breeding now and less of that sort of thing because I find it just gets my adrenaline up and then I'm tired later in the day a little bit. um, And I don't know if it's actually improving my recovery. So I've gotten away from that. Like, you know, there's, like there's this the thing I'd love to learn. There's tons of other types of breeding that I think, you know, even going to sleep at night, like I sometimes find it kind of hard to switch off if I've been training loads, thinking about shit loads. So like just even... And holding, you know, like, breath cycles and doing all that sort of thing, it kind of helps me to, like, relax the body a bit, relax the mind a bit. Um, so, yeah, it is something I'd use, but not, like, I don't really have a set structure around it, if you know what I mean. But I would dabble with different styles of breathing. And, like, obviously, the Wim Hof would be the most extreme thing that I'd be doing with my breath work or anything like that. And I found that interesting but I don't quite know what I get out of it. If you don't, know I, mean. <laughs> <Like, laughs> yeah. I was doing like five minute breath holds and ice baths and all this sort of thing. And like, it's cool. You definitely feel something. You feel more connected to your body, but you're not stronger. You're not recovering better. You're not like, so after a while I was kind of like, I'm just getting a little bit of adrenal fatigue from this. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it's the most productive thing. Now I'm sure there's ways of channeling that. And like, using that energy to like help your body to recover. I don't feel like I was channeling it the right way. So maybe I need to kind of like go back and focus a little bit more on what I'm using it for. But I've just kind of stopped using it because of that.
0: Very interesting. No, that's that's definitely very interesting. And then we say coming, you know, going into fights, we say you know, though that that day of the fight and we say the way and obviously you're drilling as high with that day of the fight, the hour before the fight, five minutes before the fight How do you stay in control of your body? It's pretty like, that seems to happen fairly
1: naturally. Um, And it honestly, it's funny. You're so well prepared at that point than for any of the fights I've ever had. Like that one in Germany, it's weird. You get nervous when you're not fully mentally and physically prepared. So like, then you become less in control of your own mindset because you haven't reviewed the options in your head already. Like my first amateur fight, I had a great camp. We'd been training for a year and a half, two years nearly at that stage. Like I was fully ready and I knew it going into the fight. And because of that, it was like, okay, let's go. I'm ready to perform. And it wasn't really like, there was no lack of control of my mind. I knew what I had to do. I knew what I wanted to achieve. And I knew it was just going to be a fight at the end of the day. So sparring definitely helps in that sense because you're used to the environment. But I also think like, You have to figure out what, like, what are you going to do in the fight? What are you, like, what are you going to do if he starts to do this? What are you going to do? So having a little bit of time, that's nearly part of the camp. You know, part of it is training your body physically. But a lot of it is, like, you're preparing your reactions, you know, preparing your mental reaction. You know, what are you going to do if you end up in a guard underneath him and he's elbowing the top of your head and, like, there's blood all over him? Like, what's your reaction in that position? And like, it can't be, there can't be a lack of preparation. There can't be a panic in that situation. There has to be like, okay, this is what you're going to do. And if you've looked at that already in your head, then it's, it's natural on the night. It just happens. Whereas if you haven't actually reviewed that and got into it, it's kind of like, oh fuck. And then you're thinking, and if you're thinking you're not reacting. So like, it has to like, by, by the time that like, night has rolled around, you should be prepared for any eventuality nearly. early now there might be, obviously you can't fucking prepare for everything. There might be situations situation you haven't seen before, but like by and large, you're prepared for pretty much fucking anything that's going to happen on the night. And that gives you kind of a confidence in your mindset. And like, even it's made it definitely easier to accept things when they haven't gone right as well, because it's like, well, fuck it. I know that I've prepared as well as I could have prepared. And there's a like not of confidence, there's but like, there's a peacefulness in the fact that it was like, well, fuck, I genuinely know I couldn't have done a whole lot more there, you know, that I thought like, I prepared for this. I did react the way I wanted to react. And then this, this, and this happened. And I was like, well, at that stage, you weren't as aware of those techniques. And that is like that. The more you use that mentality, the more you can actually see the fact that you're getting better as well. Because like, if you just kind of think, well, it's this situation, ah, you didn't react well to that. It's like, no, you reacted by doing this. So if you actually, like, this why I love fighting, because if you actually just break it down, it's like, you moved your leg here, you did this. All right, what you should have done was this. You know that now. So the next time that happens, that's what ha- Like, that's what your fucking body does. Then if you know that, and it's like, okay, boom, you take it to that step, and then something else happens. You're like, all right, fuck. I should, probably should have seen that that was the logical next step of that. Like, but it's only it's like being a fucking chess player and going, well, now I know the next four moves ahead of that. And, huh? and if you know the next four moves you're not going to get caught out within that sequence if you get me like so mm-hmm. like the confidence or like the you know your peace of mind on that night comes fairly easily once you've done the work beforehand like the I nearly find fight week actually pretty relaxing weirdly enough like making weight is tough you know I don't really like making weight but it is like it's nice to have something to challenge you that week because other than that it's pretty fucking relaxing. You're not training as hard. Your body's recovering after like some fairly intense shit during the camp. So it's very, really, it's a bit of a break. You're like on holidays 30 before your fight. So it's good to have all that like mental work to do.
0: And on that point, weight cutting, um, I've spoken a few boxes about it and it's everyone I've spoken to. It's, it's quite extreme. Uh, some people can find it, you know, can get weight, no better. what's your experience.
1: I've done big weight cuts. I've done like, yeah, fucking pretty damn significant ones. Um, and I don't enjoy them and I don't want to probably do as big weight cutting throughout my whole career. But I've always managed and I've always performed pretty well after those cuts and I've never really felt like it's affected me too much in the cage. Um, so like, as much as I don't love it, I do think as long as you can do it, you should probably do it because mm-hmm. definitely an advantage, you know, if you're now it's an advantage for a certain type of style of game. So if you want to be able to outpower somebody physically, it does help to be heavier than them. But if your game is to be able to stay mobile and to be able to, you know, keep moving, well, then you have to carry that extra weight. Like if you're cutting weight and putting it back on and you're five kilos heavier than a guy, put a five kilo plate in your back and carry that around for 15 minutes, like when you're moving fast and doing things. You're gonna be a little bit more tired than that guy. So there's like there's with everything, there's an advantage and a disadvantage. And it just depends what style of game you want, what way you're gonna fight. Do you wanna come into this fight lighter? Do you want to come into this fight a little bit heavier? Um, in the last two fights, I was kind of more I'm gonna be able to physically outmatch these guys. Um, and that's why I ended up cutting a good bit of weight but Like, sorry, my last fight, the one in September and the one in February, my last two Bellator fights, I didn't cut any weight for the one over in Germany because I was already, I was underweight when the fucking fight happened. I was like 90 kilos, and I was 93 kilo limit. Um, So yeah, like, I think weight cutting, not necessarily a good thing, but it's fucking necessary if you want to, you know, win high-level fights sometimes. How
0: much lead-up would you have to give to cut weight? Is it a couple of days or a week, or what's the...
1: Normal. A couple of like so, Um, say from my last cut, I was 96 kilos the week before the fight. Now, that's the heaviest I've ever been. So, that was 12 kilos I had to lose within that like week and a half. Now, I worked with Tristan Kennedy to do that. And Tristan is fucking incredible because he stayed really calm. I was freaking out. Like, this is the thing there's an anxiety around the weight as well because you like, I've never missed weight, thank God, but I've been like, anxious about missing weight a few times where it's gotten to the point where it's like well this is withdrawing your mental energy away from the fight you should be focused on the fight now but you're focused on making weight instead that would be one thing where i'm like well that's another reason to not do this shit to the same extent like i used to find weight cutting like i was always around 93 94 kilos and i'd get down to about 92 91 say the week before the fight And then I could do seven or eight kilos fairly easily on the week. Whereas like when you're coming in with 12 kilos to cut, it's a little bit more like, oh shit, am I going to be able to get through this? Like, And like what point, then you start thinking about all sorts of shit. It's like, well, if it goes really badly, what point do I want to call it? Or like, okay, fucking safe. You make it, but you're rehydrating and your body's fucked. You know, I did have like those issues in my mind because I wasn't fully in control of the weight. Like, it felt like, fuck, I'm eating fuck all calories, but I'm losing very little weight for a little bit of my last camp. And it becomes like, it absorbs you a little bit. You're a bit like, shit. This is now like, and you're getting like, you get on the scales and you're not seeing a fucking budge. And you're like, well, I did two hours of training yesterday and I ate fuck all calories. And, you know, I followed everything to the exact fucking degree. And it's not budging. You're like, the fuck is happening here? But like, Tristan, in fairness, so like I started working with him about, five weeks before the fight and uh he was like look you're overtraining," because he was giving me like calories and giving me you know macros to hit every day and i was hitting them, and i was like look i'm genuinely hitting these but the way it isn't moving and he was like right you're just holding a ton of water and he reckons that i probably had a bit of a like he was like you probably have an infection of some kind uh because your body seems to be holding on to a lot of water uh coming up to the fight but like it held on to it right up to that week beforehand. So I'd been dieting a shitload, but I was still coming in at 96 kilos. And then uh, thankfully, say like the Friday before the fight, it went so like a week after, like a week and a day before, so eight days before the fight, I uh, came down like a kilo and a half and then I was down to like 94 and a half. But I think the day I showed up in Milan, I was still like 92, 93. You know, I was still high, like the whole week like it stayed high and even like on the day so say you weigh in the friday morning so like the thursday morning i think i was still like 90.8 kilos or something which would be like way above like so that's six kilos of water that have to come out of you when you're already like that's in the morning after you've pissed everything out you're a bit dehydrated so i'd like six kg of just water to squeeze out having already kind of naturally done my water flush and depleted my body in carbohydrates and gotten rid of all the glycogen and the muscle. And it's like, well, now you've only six kilos to go. <laughs> so, like, that was funny, though. And like, Chris Tristan did a great job just getting it out of me and like staying calm, staying extremely calm, like a professional, a true professional. That's what I said about Tristan. Like, he just, he really didn't at any stage seem any way disturbed by anything that was happening with my body. So, like, even about, I did two baths that night, and I tried to get rid of like three kilos that night, three in the next morning, um, and the second bath I was starting to get like kind of just my heart rate was going up quite a lot, and I was getting a little bit faint. Now that's happened me a couple of times cutting weight before, but I was like, "Jeez, this is happening already," and I have another like four and a half kilos nearly to go, so I started to like get a little bit like fucking hell about it. Maybe- it was like, nah, look, we can go, like, you know, we have another fucking 10 hours, 11 hours to make this weight. You'll get there. It's more just, like, how quickly are we going to get there? And that mentality was great. Like, so from that point of view, I just found him really professional and really just, like, calming and just, yeah, professional is the best word about it. Like, and I was really glad he was there for that cut because, to be honest, that cut would have been tough without somebody like him there
0: i reassuring as well and keep you calm and do your Yeah.
1: You
0: see yeah. uh, he just he's uh Connor's um nutritionist Nick, yeah,
1: or, right. maybe, uh, yeah. Um doing all the videos and the interviews and all that stuff. Like so it's good to see him getting a bit of credit for it, like because he is he's class at what he does and he's passionate too. You can see it like anytime you ask him a question, he gives it, you know, you're bombarded with information, like you can tell he's really into what he does.
0: Like that's good. At least you know what. You, you, you know when people are passionate about it because you know they can go well into detail and all that. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Is he from? Is he from Dublin or where is he from?
1: Oh, he's Leash. Um, whereabouts? It's Yeah, I forget whereabouts in Leash, but he's not too far away from Charlie Ward. Is Mount Malak? I think is he? He's kind of Leash Kildare somewhere like that mm-hmm. kind of area. I can't. I couldn't tell you exactly.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. It's just uh, this thing I. I uh, I'd like to, and I'm proper, proper opportunity now to, to ask yourself. Do you know, you sparring guys in the gym and you, you're you touching it, that it's a hub for other lads coming in, um, the SPG, or any gym for that matter. You have two guys going at it, testosterone levels are high. Um, you know, their whole life is MMA. What happens if the old guy, you know, actually end up hurting you or you end up hurting someone else? Is there a common understanding that there's not going to be grudge or... So a grudge, it ever.
1: How it, happened. it depends very much how that situation came about like mm-hmm. so like the one thing like if somebody's going hard at you it's like well look fuck it <laughs> we've got to go now like you know um and you have to be able for that don't start to spar somebody unless you're willing to go to a degree of like we're in a bit of a fight now you know if you stayed at the start that you're like, no, nah, look, mate, I've got a bit of an injury here, I only want to tip around, whatever, and somebody really has a goal for you, that guy's a prick, and, like, yeah, you should probably bear a grudge in that situation, but if you just start sparring with somebody, and they start going a little bit harder, and you start going a little bit harder, and then they start swinging for you, don't go away fucking complaining about it afterwards, like, it's, it's fucking, <laughs> this is the sport at the end of the day, and there's egos involved, and there's pride, like, you know, like you said, testosterone gets up, there's pride, there's fucking, your identity is tied to this thing, you will to be good at it, so, like, it very much depends how that bad blood comes about or how the intensity gets raised. I've been in very intense bars with a lot of guys and wouldn't hold grudges at all. It's nearly like you respect that guy more afterwards. Um, but there have been situations where, like, what I really don't like is somebody who kind of, like, pretends to be, like, they're like, oh, mate, a bit, bit of a, like, my hip's a little bit weird here. Do you want to just tip around? Like, you'd be like, yeah, sure, sure. So you'd be kind of going a little bit lighter, like you know, not moving quite as quickly. And then they try a big overhand or they try some shit. You're like, hey, <laughs> you know, you just wanted a fucking scalp there, like you just wanted your fucking say, oh, I clock will flurry or I got this. So that situation I've had happen a few times. Um, and like that I wouldn't have a whole lot of sympathy for because it's premeditated. Um, but nah, in general, if things get a little bit heated and you know both of you are going at it as long as it's like decently natured and you're not trying anything snaky it's a fucking fighting sport at the end of the day we're doing like you know if you don't want to fight do jiu-jitsu you know don't do mma this is fighting <laughs> so i'd probably be a little bit more tolerant to that sort of thing the most like even i got that tummy eye last week like and i genuinely i didn't mind at all like it's just shit happens like that was a guy swinging a punch at me like and like it shouldn't have been the tongue that hit me, but it was. So I'm like I know he
0: didn't mean it to be the tone Fuck it. Shit happens. Big deal. Nobody there. Like, And I know you, you said there you started um you started MMA in your early twenties. Do you find it as a, a disadvantage? You know, like obviously MMA is a mixture of everything. So do you find a disadvantage learning everything kind of from scratch?
1: Or would be like in a way it's kind of a you come into it with a more open mindset, and you're more open to everything. Obviously, having a skill set is always good. Like so, like more skills is better. So if you come in with some skills already, great. But I didn't ever like maybe now I would see it like as in if I saw a 21-year-old now being like, Oh, I want to be a professional MA fighter, what have you done before? Nah, nothing. Played a couple of years of rugby. I'd be like, Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe don't. <laughs> but I think because it didn't seem like something, and I think that experience, barring with Jake Hecht and, you know, having guys there in Cork who were like, we didn't feel like we were a million miles away. It always seemed real to us. So I think that was really positive to just not make it seem like it was out of my reach. Um, it never felt like a huge disadvantage, but looking back, it probably was a little bit more than... Like, you know, you probably should, if you want to be a professional fighter now, have something coming into it, if you're going to be 21, coming into it. Uh, but just being a good athlete will go a long way as well. You know, being a good athlete, having a good mindset and a good attitude. Because there's a lot of guys who know how to fight, but they just don't have that mental toughness. You know, and like, that's the thing, you can have all the skills in the world, but if you're not willing to go through a little bit to get there, oh, it's going to like you're not going to do well in this sport you've got to be willing to endure things that you probably don't really want to have to endure but fuck it you signed up for this man you know that's the nature of the game so like
0: sorry, yeah um do you know you're you were, you're were amateur for a certain period of time but how did you become professional did you um apply somewhere or did you get scouted or what the... oh,
1: like basically there was a couple of people saying like i should go bro i won all my amateur fights uh, so I was seven and oh, as an amateur. And I'd always like from the time I got obsessed with it, like at 21, whatever, the goal was always like go pro, become fucking, you know, world champion, do all that. Um and like from the point of view of the average person going pro, there's nothing to stop you. Like you anybody can fight professionally if they want to. Uh the deterrent for most people is not having the skill set necessary and then get their ass whooped. There are certain guys out there who don't seem to mind that. If you go on to topology, you'll find a lot of guys who are like 0 and fucking 70 and you know (laughs) 0 and 65. And you're like, well, this is fucking what's making you want to do this. Like, um, but yeah, from my point of view, it was just like I just kept winning and I always wanted to be a professional fighter. So, like, all my amateur fights were gearing to be professional. I never wanted there's guys now who are training who want to just have amateur careers and just do the sport for like leisure sake and just enjoy it. And like, but I don't know if MMA is that type of sport. Cause everybody's talking about that here. Like it's a great thing. And I'm like, well, you're taking fucking trauma. Like you're taking punishment for this. And yeah, it's great. There's a Great social aspect to it. And it is brilliant. But like, I think if you want all that, just do jujitsu. If you want to do MMA, you should be looking to make a living out of it. It's not something that's free. Like, you know, it's Not free from the point of view of the effort you put in and the time you give it and the cost it's going to take on your body and your fucking brain eventually. So, like, get something from it and be looking to get something from it. And if you're not, maybe don't do this, just do jujitsu or you know, do something else. Like,
0: that point there you said about, about your brain, um, that clip over in South Africa, right? Oh, yeah. But <laughs> where you can't cost after it because it was outrageous oh, really uh, the elbows into the back
1: of your head yeah um no so like i won this competition so that happened and then we didn't know what was gonna what the result was gonna be because on the night they just called it no contest um so i assumed your man was disqualified and that i'd be going through to the next round but then just from the way it was all being dealt with that night like after like we both got transported to hospital like this was the hilarious thing so i had like a couple of little cuts in the back of my head um and i got a ct scan that night in the hospital and thankfully nothing and i felt grand it was weird i felt like fucking very normal and even like i can remember what happened before that like like i remember the whole fight um from before that and i remember pretty much everything afterwards really well so like I was obviously like, if you look at the footage, like when I saw the footage, I was like, holy shit, that's what happened to me. But like, when I was back too, I was grand. Now my balance was a little bit shaky for about 20 minutes and I had a little bit of a swirl in my vision. Um, so like, not saying sorry, not grand, but like, I was surprisingly not mentally deteriorating. Like, you know, my memory wasn't fucked. There was a lot that was fine. Um, and then the next day, They didn't tell, like, we didn't know what was going to happen still, but they were bringing us out for a challenge. So after the fight, like, after there was a fight, there would be, like, a challenge, and the teams would have to compete against each other. Um, And that would decide who got the pick, which coach would get to pick the next fight. And uh, the challenge was holding a mattress over your head, but this one was an individual challenge, and it was, like, you won 10,000 rand, which was the equivalent to, like, 600 quid um if you won the challenge as an individual so i was like and i saw what it was and they wanted me to sit it out uh so they were saying like no look you can't do this you've just been concussed or whatever i was like i'm fucking i'm grand um so then i had a big argument with graham who was the like dana white of the fc and uh then they eventually agreed to let me do it and I fucking won the thing and I won it by like a minute or something. You know, it was like everybody else was gone after about two minutes and I held on for like three, you know, and it was grand. Like I probably could have held longer even if there'd been, it was just like, I think everybody else was holding with bent elbows and I just locked out overhead and kind of balanced the mattress well. Um. So I was like, I was physically fine as well. That was the thing. Cause like I didn't even find that strenuous. I didn't have any balance issues. I was doing hill sprints two days later um but in terms of like when I look at that footage it's horrific when I think of what happened in that situation I get very fucking it still makes me bitter I still get that like little bit of rage welling up inside me every time um but in a way then I'm kind of like maybe something like that keeps that motivation there maybe I wouldn't be this passionate maybe I wouldn't still have this much to fucking prove and you know, like bitterness is never the best motivator, but it's not a bad one either. You know, it fucking keeps you going. Like, like, showing up, like, you know, a lot of like that fucking drive within me is probably to go fuck you to those guys and be like, I was fucking successful regardless of you not trying to fuck me. So, like, I went back down. This is the worst thing. Like, not many people know this, but I went back down there and fought for them that December. So that was in like October and uh two months later i fought for them so like we went home about a week after all that happened and uh then i got like a couple of offers from brave and i got an offer from um those lads dfc as well and they were just offering a little bit more money And i was like yeah fuck it i'll take that um so i went back down there and i fought one of their lads and i knocked him out in the second round and uh i only got paid my show money I never got paid my win bonus. So I never even got paid fully. So I would have made more money for the fight with Brave. And I was just like, you fucking scumbags. And it's the most for Like, oh yeah, mate, no problem. Send that through now. No bother. And then kept getting that spiel of like, yeah, yeah, of course. But they just knew what the fuck is this kid going to do? He's in Ireland. We're in South Africa. He's not going to be able to like, he's not rich enough to fucking hire legal fucking people to come after us. And it's not worth it anyway, because it's only like a couple of grand. So it was just like, shit, (laughs) I have nothing here. And they know that. And I was just like, you fucking scumbags. So not only did you let me like fucking absorb all that trauma and then like not do anything to just like, you know, you're basically got fucked over because somebody else cheated, not you. So it's like you poke a guy in the eye, that guy who fucking, you poke the eye. Well, he's fucked your grand. Let's go. You're okay. So it's just like the whole, you know, the moral of that story ended up being cheat and it'll work out if you like Um, and it was that was sickening. it was but look that's life and I'm still here and I'm still healthy thankfully and you know I'm still able to compete still fucking
0: able to prove those fuckers wrong and show them what they missed out on that's extremely unprofessional from you know from a business perspective as well like and
1: it is but at the end of the day like I'm sure that's their business model for a lot of guys I Mm -hmm. doubt that I'm the only person that that's happened to you know, I know a lot of English guys have fought for them and I know they were looking, they were once John looking for another fighter there recently. Like, John knows what's happened here. So, like, he was just like, <laughs> you could pay my last guy first. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: so, yeah, it's just unprofessional. professional, all right, yeah. Um, just out of curiosity as well, uh, this is probably a given, but, you know, when you were amateur and, and travelling around and even actually when you went off to South Africa at that time, were you funding all that yourself? No,
1: so like I was pro at that stage. um that was the point of those shows. It was to be an undefeated professional, but I was in twenty seventeen. I had two pro fights at that stage, and they paid for everything uh but as an amateur, I, yeah, everything like I paid for everything um even like I flew back to fight in Dublin at one stage, and it was the company I worked for in London who paid for it, so Fairfox and I am actually big pro like Platt and Riley uh, they paid for my flights home and uh i fought in a four-man tournament in dublin uh that was back in november 2014 so like any of the travel i ever had to do for that was funded by me and yeah you didn't get a penny for it like that's why i looked back and i'm like "Geez, i spent so money just training buying gear you know fucking going to fights you know cornering guys fight myself and you got nothing back it was just the passion of doing it, like whereas now having been paid and been paid fairly thankfully fairly well for what I do, it's like, why would you do this for free? Like, you know, I could never go back to doing it for free, you
0: know. And just on, on that point as well, out of curiosity, do you know when you corner guys, um, like it's probably stupid, you know, but what's the role of a corner person? Is it just kind of a bit of motivation?
1: it Like if I was cornering somebody with John, my role is to shut the fuck up and listen to what John has to say, and then, like, you know, maybe in between rounds, you could add one or two words, and basically, you're carrying a towel in a bucket, and you're just there, like, in that situation, say, pre-fight would be most of your job, it'd be more getting the guy warmed up correctly, you know, in a warm-up, when you're cornering a guy, you always want to let that guy whoop your ass, basically, and, like, make him feel like he's fucking informed tonight, he's being a beast, like, never resist, I've had people corner me, and they've, Fully resist on the night. You're like Eric. Like you know, <laughs> if ever there's a night you need to fucking give somebody an edge. Like just do it. Like um, but yeah, basically to just like you know, roll with that guy, get his confidence up, build the guy up a little bit physically, and keep him in a good headspace. Like just kind of keep him chatting away about like shit that's gonna keep him positive. Um, so that's your role in that situation if i'm the head corner like which wouldn't be off like it'll only be the odd guy when john wouldn't be there it i'd be that situation then you've got to be a lot more vocal in the corner and one thing like this thing thankfully like you i've had john in my corner and he's like it's fucking incredible he does an amazing job of it like and he's just so clear with his instructions but so calm as well and you can hear his voice even when there is big crowds you're able to hear John and he doesn't shout. He doesn't get animated. He doesn't anything, but he's just like, yeah, keep going. Like, or, you know, beautiful head position, work into the half guard. You'll hear whatever the fuck he's saying, but it's calm and it's fairly like, you're not flustered by anything he's ever saying. You're just like, yeah, okay, that's what I do next. That's what I do next. Even in my last fight, now there was no crowd, so it was much easier so I could hear everything he was saying. But like, the first time I got side control on me. he went to turtle. Oh, I attacked the neck. I ended up falling off. He was just like, whatever way he got his elbow back in between us, I kind of fell off his shoulder. And then he ended up on top of me. I managed to get back up to a single leg. I got back down again. And the second time I got him down, John was like, yeah, straight to half guard. And I was like, yeah, okay, straight to half guard. So instead of being in side control, which would be considered a better position, it was like back into the half guard and work from there. And I was like, oh, he was dead right there. And like, even during the fight, I was like, yeah, yeah, he was dead right. But it was like, he Like, he was so just like, that's the obvious thing to do, and he just said it, and I just did it. And it was like, oh, now it's a totally different fight. And it's like, it's so simple, and it seems so, like, easy, but he's got that like, knowledge down really well of just how to deliver that information in a way that doesn't fluster somebody, in a way that's kind of just calm. And it's like, this is what this guy knows, this is what this guy needs to know. Here's what I can deliver to him in a way that he can perceive and act on that information, like, and yeah so basically i've learned a shitload from john of like how to play that role but i still would be nowhere near as good at it as he is like he's fucking
0: masterful at cornering people like that that obviously you know filters through you then when you're fighting as you alluded to there that you know if he was animated saying it to you you'd probably get flustered naturally when you're in the fight yeah,
1: and like look i've this thing um in a couple of ways like even between the second and the third round of my last fight, he gave me a real, like, pump up. It's fucking goal time. Now it's the third round. Like, you're two rounds up, but you've got to go out and fucking smash him again in this round. So he's able to be animated when he needs to be. And, like, I haven't seen him be that animated often. So it's like, because he doesn't get, like, he's very calm 99.9% of the time. So when he does get up, it's like, whoa, yeah, he's up. Let's go, like, you know. Um, but he's, like, he's able to do both. But he's just in that, like, calm state the vast, vast majority of the time. But I've had him, like, and even I was there when he pumped Pedro up. I was Pedro's corner over in London uh, for the time he fought down in Crawford. And then in the third round, you gave him a big fucking, like, you know, you got to go. Now's your time. This is everything in your life. Like, you know, the Rocky fucking speech, like, and it was class. But, like, you can do both. That's the cool thing, like, you know, so
0: yes uh, um we we discussed about this just off air as well briefly but um you're involved in a bit of research uh in 2020 with students
1: earlier earlier not even it was back as far as i think it was like 2017 to 2019 i think um i was doing like uh it was just a study that trinity were doing and i was one of the subjects um and it was pretty much Seeing the effect of fighting had on your blood brain barrier, so pretty much we all got an initial scan, like a contrast MRI, um, where they you know map out your blood brain barrier pretty much, and they see you know how intact it is, and then every time we got or every time we fought, we got scanned afterwards, and uh, they were just kind of correlating the data on you know how intact the blood brain barrier stayed and what sort of effect that had on you cognitively. And we also wore these gum shields that measured the G-force that we absorbed during the fights, and it had, like, there was a little detector in the gum shield to see how, like, fast the edge got snapped or whatever. Um, Now, thankfully, most of those fights, while I was being recorded, I won. Um, And, yeah, it was, was like, it was interesting, because I I know my own data anyway. I can't speak for anyone else, but, like, there was not as much deterioration in the barriers as you would think, even when some people do seem to be more resilient than others as well. Um, But like, again, what conclusions do you draw from that? Because really it's going to be long-term studies that are going to, you know, like, are they going to look at me again in 10 years and see how I'm doing cognitively and, you know, then go back and correlate that data to my original scans? Or am I going to get a scan in, you know, five years and see if my blood brain barriers or like, see if my brain mass is the same and it's kind of like you're not going to get a picture like of the pathology of this sport from one snapshot like it's going to have to be over a long enough period of time of like relatively like seeing the trauma somebody's absorbing and in some way being able to measure the trauma which is a very hard thing to do that somebody's absorbing and then also like comparing it their blood-brain barrier and then seeing their brain you know brain mass deposition, you know if any plaques or amyloids are forming on the brain anything like this so i just think the resources unfortunately aren't there to do anything like that uh but it would be extremely interesting if somebody could do that and obviously like the easiest way of doing any of this stuff is continuously assess people neurologically like and you know, there's a lot that can be assessed just from like balance and eye movements and behaviors and, you know, cognitive strength and function. Like those things need to be kind of, it can't just like, we got recorded for a window and it was that like fucking year and a half, two years, but I would love to be part of something like that long-term. And like, again, I wanted to do that because I wanted the 21 year old in 10 years time have a much better idea of what he's getting involved in. You know, so if I can give anyone any data for the future and be a guinea pig, like I'm doing this shit anyway. You know, it's not going to affect like, okay, it's a bit of a pain in the ass having to get scanned every now and then. But like, if that will leave reliable data for somebody else, great. I'd love to be part of that. I'd love to help. I'd love to do that. Um, But unfortunately, even the money to have people come out and record all that isn't quite there. I understand like all this stuff is fairly high end and it's like, you know, not as cheap, but if somebody could fund that, that'd be amazing. And I think it'd be very, like, it would help. It would help if younger guys know what they're getting involved in, you know. And even long term, I'm sure it'll help to prevent things like this, you know. This is the other, like, keep fucking pursuing it, whatever it is. Just, like, if you're fucking at something long enough, it'll work for you. You'll get money out of it somehow. And yeah. there's a lot of ways to make a living. You know what I mean? Oh, and, like, <laughs> if nothing is worth your fucking happiness, I'm not, like, nothing's worth being unhappy, basically. Like, even if you're not fucking delighted doing the other thing, if you're fucking constantly frustrated doing a job, I'm like, that was me with Surveying London. I just fucking hated it. and I couldn't bring my, like, every day going into work, I'd be like, oh. oh
0: and you're that feeling inside so you, your chest, yeah, are all tight.
1: Yeah. Like, nothing's worth that. Like, no. no, it's a fucking paycheck. You're gonna fucking figure out how to get a paycheck somewhere else, like.
0: <laughs> you know, and
1: it's like this is the thing. If you have any interest, like even doing shit like that, like I'm glad I had that job. And London like, like, I had a load of shit jobs before that that I fucking hated. But like, they gave me that motivation to follow something that I didn't absolutely hate. So like, whatever you don't hate, throw yourself at it and figure out how to make a few quid off it. And like, it'll fucking, you know, I I'd, I'd be very surprised. I've seen a lot of people over the years with MMA, the ones who really fucking wanted it got something out of it and like this is a way crueler game than most guys fuck up their knees guys all <laughs> sorts of shit can happen and you see some horrible stuff but by and large the guys who like you can come back from anything as well that's one thing I've seen too people come back from awful adversity and they make it work and they get a living out of it like that time in Africa I was making fuck all money from fighting then now I have a proper career from fighting and like I'm not financially unstable like I'm grand for next year at least like, if I don't fight in another year, I'll still be okay. That's the situation I'm in now, because, like, I stayed fucking doing it. Like, and there was a lot of, like, my whole family at that stage were like, oh, what are you at doing this? Getting elbowed in the back of the head. Coming back with, like, I basically earned, like, less than two grand doing that whole show Jesus that time. Christ. And then I went back and I fought. It was supposed to be, like, three and three. So I was supposed to get six grand for the fight that I was fighting after that. And I only ended up getting three grand for that. Oh, so I came home and, like... I'd earned five grand in the last six months at that stage and i'm coming back to christmas to find me and you're like you're 28 years old like you're fucking nothing to your name like and it, it seemed so logical to quit at that stage and i was like fuck that so and i thought like stay pushing at what you're pushing at you know make that thing work for you it will
0: always be covid times you'll get yeah. through it just before we, we finish up there uh, what actually what, what motivates you I don't know were you ever
1: asked that question before but... uh, like it's different things obviously uh, like I think a little bit it's just some of it has to be inherent you have to want to kind of make something of this um, like people kind of all say oh like focus on what you want and not what you don't want but I definitely don't want to end up back in an office or back working in a job I don't like. And that's a huge motivation to me. Um, And also like I want a certain kind of life once I've finished this. And that's a huge motivation as well. But even to be honest, like I don't like, it's not like I really need that like daily motivation thing to like get myself out of bed now because I enjoy what I do. So in a sense, it's really like I had to motivate myself to go to work. I don't have to motivate myself to go in and do something I want to do. And it's not every day I love doing it. Like, you know, your body's sore a lot of the time, whatever. But fundamentally, the thing is something I like and I'm happy to do it. You know, so even when I get in and I get warmed up, I'm still having fun. Like, you know, I'm looking at a guy doing a takedown. And I'm like, oh, that was nice. You know, i like, there's a kind of natural excitement in the thing and it's, It's fucking interesting and fun. So my whole motivation is more to like get to the gym. I don't need to be motivated once I'm in there because I naturally fucking want to do the thing. So it doesn't require a big pep talk beforehand. You know, and even like taking a fight sometimes, like if you're fucking, you know, you have a lot of weight to lose or you have a fucking short notice, whatever. That can seem daunting, but at the same time, you don't necessarily need motivation. You just need to figure out how possible it all is. And then once you know it's possible, like, I don't know if I'm just fucking extremely driven, but I think most guys in the sport are like that. Do something fucking you enjoy and it doesn't really feel like you need motivation because you'll just fucking want to do it anyway. You know? Yeah, no, no
0: definitely. And last one, where does the, the name Will fucking Fleury come from?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know who coined it, to be honest, but uh, it was a name I picked up down in Gork. I just, I was in sixth year down there. I'd gotten kicked out of two schools up in Dublin and I came down to Cork. And uh, yeah, it just appeared. Like I just started getting called Will Fucking Flurry, and then... uh, (laughs) It was obviously a pretty intense character, anyway.
0: So. <laughs> it, it kind of a ring to it, like very intense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's
1: going out, it kind of like you know, flurry. It just rolls off its own. So. <laughs> awesome.
0: Look, um, we'll, we'll I'll wrap it up there because I'm after taking enough of your time. And look, I I really do appreciate taking time out and coming on the Inside View podcast. And look, best look with everything going forward. Savage. Cheers. I hope you all enjoyed the interview at Will. An absolute gent and a pleasure to have him on. Extremely motivated and focused athlete. And we'd like to take the opportunity to wish him the very best going forward. And thank him again for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. That's all from us on this week's podcast. Uh, If you'd like to get in contact with the show, please do contact us. You can either... Email us info on the ball, or you can uh, catch us on any of our social media channels. Be sure to follow us as well, actually, on our social media channels. Our Instagram handle is at underscore on the ball team building, Facebook is on the ball team building, Twitter is at we are on the ball two, that's the digit two, uh, LinkedIn it's on the ball team building, and TikTok it's on the ball team building. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred on fain. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.